Well, hello again. If you did not receive an outline, if you'd raise your hand and, and uh, someone will get you one of those outlines. So we got a few hands up. While you're doing that, let's turn to 2 Timothy 4 together. Again, I really appreciate the assignments. You know, as we think about everything is under the umbrella of, of keeping the faith, and that's what we're going to be talking about through every lesson. So this lesson is going to be about what do we learn from 2 Timothy 4. And so turn there to 2 Timothy 4. Again, if you don't have an outline, raise your hand and uh, make sure that others will make sure that you have those. I tell you, it was awesome to watch Judah be baptized, wasn't it? I've never met Judah, but I tell you, I, I, I can relate with the daddy. I don't know your name over there, but I just relate with the daddy. So there's no greater joy, is there? There's just no, no greater joy. So, so excited and so thankful. It's, uh, that just never gets old, <laughs> nor should it. All right, so 2 Timothy 4, there are several things. When I said, what do, uh, this, I received this title, what do we learn from 2 Timothy 4? And I'm like, well, how many sermons can I just preach on that? You know, and so some of the things that are in 2 Timothy 4, we're going to be talking about in other lessons, like Wednesday night, the crown that awaits us. So we'll be talking about that on, on Wednesday night. And some of the things from 2 Timothy 4 we talked about already in the previous lesson. Uh, so we'll be talking about this for... Uh, the next 40 minutes or so. I heard that when that buzzer rings, it's over and you guys are gone. So if I'm not done, I'm just going to talk to nobody. That's what I understand. So. There's no Uticus falling out of the window. You guys are just going home. I love that. I love that. All right. Second <laughs> Timothy chapter 4. So I'm going to have three things, and you can see it on your outline. What do we learn from Second Timothy 4? And the, sec the first one is, what do we learn about, about people? We can have a lot of different views and thoughts about people. Sometimes we can have an over-idealistic view of people where, where everything's shining and happy, but that's not true, right? But we can also have a very negative, cynical view of people, and that's not good either, is it? Sometimes when you get burned enough and you've had enough you know, betrayal and, and mistreatment I mean, I just think about the Apostle Paul. If there's anybody who could say, I've had enough of people, <laughs> that'd be Paul. I'm, I'm checking out. I don't want any more. I, I can't trust anybody. When you've been betrayed and hurt enough, that's where you are. Like, I don't trust anybody. But we're really talking about people for this, for this first section. And so, as you'll see on your outline, in this last chapter, I tell you, it just makes me a little, maybe, maybe a little eerie at times to think about. These are the last words of the Apostle Paul. These are the last words he penned before he died, 2 Timothy 4. So what do we learn about people? What do we learn about people is that sometimes people disappoint you, and I'm like, wow, that's rocket science right there, Aaron. That is so brilliant, right? But it's true. Do your spouses disappoint you? No elbows today. No elbows. Does your spouse disappoint you? Yes. Do brethren disappoint you? Yes. Have your parents disappointed you? Yep. Did people at work disappoint you? Yeah, it's everywhere. Did people disappoint Paul? So as we look here in, in 2 Timothy 4, we see that when Paul had his first defense, there were people that should have stayed by him, and they didn't. Kind of like what, remember what Jesus wanted when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane? And he, is, he says, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death, stay here and watch with me. They fell asleep. Went and prayed, 
Again, they fell asleep. They fell asleep. Okay? People disappoint you. Paul says that in 2 Timothy 4, verse 16 and 17. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me. So let that, just let that sink in for a moment. No one. No one came to stand by me at my first defense. Those are sad words, considering... If you think about it, if you're Paul, I know how this rolls in relationships. When somebody disappoint, disappoints us, what we do is we throw back all of the stuff I did for you. Well, look at everything I did for you. If anybody could say that at this point, it would be Paul. Nobody stood by me. So he was disappointed. And by the way, it's okay to express disappointment, isn't it? It's okay to express disappointment with our spouse if we do that in love. It's okay to express disappointment with our brethren and in our relationships. If we don't communicate our emotions and our feelings with each other and things that we're hurt about, how could we grow in our relationships? And Paul says, you guys hurt me. You abandoned me. I was hoping you'd be there for me. But he says, at my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. But look at his attitude. May it not be charged against them. He didn't ask for God to call down fire from heaven and burn them. He said, may it not be charged against them. But who was with him? Verse 17. Who stood by him? The Lord stood by me. The Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through the, me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. And so I was rescued from the lion's mouth. Some people disappoint you. One thing that we have to learn, and I'm going to be saying this repeatedly probably, is that Jesus completes us. People don't. I tell that to married couples all the time when I'm doing premarital counseling. I sit down with couples. I say, I read them Colossians chapter 2 and verses 9 and 10 where it says, you are complete in Him. You are complete in Jesus. And if I'm complete in Jesus, then I'm not trying to reach something for you that you can't give me because only Jesus can give me that. And I have to tell, I tell it to couples. Yes, it's wonderful to be married. I've been married almost 27 years. I love being married. I love my wife. I love that relationship. I'm so blessed that I have it. God created an amazing thing in marriage. But Anna, my wife, does not complete me. Jesus does. And I don't complete her. I'm not up for that job. I can't complete her. There's no way I could complete her. Only Jesus could do that. And this is it's the same way in, in any other relationship. And I remember, I remember one thing my mom would say when I was in high school and I'd be struggling with relationships or whatever. And it was one of those moments. I don't know if I physically rolled my eyes, but I know mentally I rolled my eyes when she said, Aaron, Jesus is your best friend. Like, whatever. What does that mean? I'm not trying to be disrespectful, but as a teenager, I'm like, what does that mean? Jesus is my... Now I understand. Now I get it. He'll never leave me or forsake me. Other people will abandon me. Other people will disappoint me. And I'll do the same for other people, but Jesus will never leave you or forsake you. That's a promise from Hebrews 13. Paul understood that. The Lord stood by me. So some people disappoint. There are some, and I don't think that was malicious, by the way. I don't think that they did that out of malice for Paul. They just got scared and they all scattered. I think that's what happened. They just got scared and scattered. But then there are others who try to hurt you. 
There are people who intentionally, out of malice, try to do bad things to you. And I want you to notice that as he talks about Alexander the coppersmith in 2 Timothy 4, verse 14. Alexander the coppersmith did me what? Great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. You notice there's a different response there by Paul. There's more of an imprecatory response. Lord, bring justice upon him. The first one, they weren't, they weren't doing that out of malice. He says, don't hold it against him. But in this one, he says, Lord, bring justice upon him. And if you, if you read the imprecatory Psalms of the Old, of the Old Testament, uh, you can see similarities to what he's asking God to do here. But there are people who will try to hurt you. It seems like there are some who get up, and that seems to be the, what they're going to do is to hurt somebody. They rise up in the, in the morning to corrupt their doings, the prophets say. Some try to hurt you, but Paul kept his eyes on God. God, you need to take care of that. They're trying to hurt me, and I can't fix this myself. Lord, you have to take care of that. Some fall away. He mentioned somebody named Demas. And maybe you've studied this before, but maybe for some of you, this is the first time you've heard about Demas. And so I understand when I'm teaching in a class or in a, in a sermon that I have all different kinds of groups in here. So some of you may say, I already know Demas, but some of you may like, never heard of Demas. Well, if you look at 2 Timothy 4, at, again, this is Paul's last letter. He says, Demas, in verse 10, in love with this present world has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Here, as Paul's about to die, he's talking about Demas and says he's in love with the world. But, is, but for those of you who have studied about Demas before, is that the way Demas had always been? Demas hadn't always been that way. In fact, when Paul wrote other letters, and it's on your notes, you know, Colossians chapter 4 is an example. We'll just go ahead and turn there. As Paul wrote these letters from prison, the prison epistles, we call them, the prison letters, uh, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon. When he writes these letters, he mentions the people that are with him. Colossians chapter 4 is an example of that in verse 14. He talks about Epaphras, talks about Luke, verse 14. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you as does Demas. Those of you who maybe have more gray in your hair and, and more life, more real estate distance and time behind you, you understand that sometimes people change and it's not for good. Now, that's sad, I know it, but it's just an observation. I'm not trying to be negative, I'm just trying to be realistic. Sometimes people fall away. And that made Paul very sad. I think Paul is weeping, just like he did in Philippians. I tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. We, it breaks our hearts. We mourn over this. But sometimes people change. Sometimes people fall away. He said in 2 Timothy 4, as he is telling Timothy to preach the Word of God, the reason why he says, Timothy, stick to the Word, preach the Word, don't waver from the Word, preach it whenever people want to hear it, and when they don't want to hear it, preach the Word. Why? Because, he says in verse 4, they will turn away from the truth and turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. And so there's three groups of people right there. Some are not malicious. They just disappoint us, and just as I've disappointed other people. 
Some are malicious and they try to hurt you. Some are weak and they fall away. And as we learn about people, that's just all in this one chapter. That's just all in this letter where Paul is talking to Timothy about people. I think sometimes we do our, uh, our young preachers a disservice when we just train them how to preach a sermon. We train them how to teach a Bible class. We show them how to do an outline, but we don't talk to them about people. I know, Roger, you do. <laughs> we don't talk to them about people. He had to be taught how to deal with people. And that is so important as we think about the, the job, whether it's being a shepherd or being a preacher or anything else. We have to learn to deal with people. Okay? The kingdom is about the people. So, but also, let's turn that around to talk about this in a, in a positive way. There's another name mentioned here that's interesting in, in uh, 2 Timothy 4, in verse 11. He says, Luke alone is with me. Get who? And it's okay. You're not, you're not going to be zapped if you say this. Get, get Mark. Get Mark. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very what? He's very useful to me for ministry. Now, again, you this may be the first time you hear of Mark or John Mark, okay? But you read about him in the book of Acts. Here, Paul is about to die, and he says, I want Mark. But there was a time earlier in life where John Mark had abandoned them in, at a time of uh, persecution, and so he bailed. And Paul didn't want him any, on any more of their trips. Uh -uh. And so he, he and Barnabas, they split ways arguing about that. I don't want him with me. Now, people debate as to whether Paul changed or, or John Mark changed. I kind of think both of them did. <laughs> because we grow, we grow with Christ and we improve over, over time if we're walking with Jesus. And we see things differently. And we have more maturity. We have better perspective. And so here we have Paul at the end of his life saying, I really need John Mark. Isn't that beautiful? That one time a broken relationship is now I that's the person, as I am dying, as I am about to be executed for the cause of Christ, I want John Mark. Yeah, that person I didn't want before. Have you ever had, and I'm sure you have, if you've lived long enough, broken relationships that get mended? Isn't that wonderful? Because those broken relationships keep you up at night, don't they? Those broken relationships get you sick to your stomach. But here we have Paul. We have Paul at the end of his life saying, I want John Mark. And so we see there's a different relationship. And so some grow. I, I, uh, Anna, my wife, and I'm going to mention her a lot probably in these lessons. But Anna makes a statement. She had a plaque made. And it says, I am not where I need to be, but I'm not where I used to be. And I love that phrase. I'm not where I need to be, but I'm not where I used to be. I'm glad. I mean, I, 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 said this to, I said this to somebody earlier about Roger. I said, Roger knew me when I was a kid, and he still invited me. <laughs> I'm not where I used to be, right? Some grow, and that's you. That's me. Hopefully that's you and me. Some grow. Things change, and sometimes things change for, for bad, yes, but sometimes things change for good, and we have stronger relationships and deeper and more meaningful relationships with people than we, we did before because maybe we got through some of that nonsense that was in between us before, and now we see things differently with each other. We grow in Christ. And then we have some that are just great treasures in the kingdom. They're great friends. 
Priscilla and Aquila are two of those people for Paul. I don't know if you have ever done this, but if, you've, if you haven't ever studied Priscilla and Aquila, just start looking where they're mentioned. Just look at where they're mentioned in Paul's letters. Just look at where they're mentioned in the book of Acts. They're in a lot of different places with Paul. And they're always housing the church in their house. They're housing Paul, the the preacher, as they work with him. They're tent makers. And so they have the same job with Paul in Acts 18. And they're kicked out of their homes in Rome. And they end up in Corinth. And they go right to work. And they work with Paul uh, both in, in tent making and in preaching, teaching the gospel. And that's the kind of people they were. They were always uh, risking their lives and sacrificing themselves for the the cause of Christ. And Paul says, they've risked their necks for me in another passage, Romans 16. They risked their necks for me. Can you think of people in your life as you look back like Paul did? There are some really good friends. Can you think of those right now? Maybe they're sitting by you, or maybe they're across the room here, or maybe they're in another state. They are really good friends. They're treasures. And what we have to do is, and I, and I want to say this especially because I'm going to tell you from my experience growing up, going to church, is that sometimes you can see brethren behave badly. Not to say that I didn't, but you see brethren behave badly. And you see all the problems in the church, and this preacher did that, and this church went sour on this, and there's all this fighting and division. Yeah, I sat as a teenager watching grown men slam doors and be yelling at each other and walking out and behaving badly. And I'll tell you what, if you, if you fixate on that, you're going to be really negative about God's people. If you fixate on all the way the brothers behave badly, you're going to be very negative and cynical about God's wonderful church. And you're going to see it differently. And it's not going to be good. And what I try to do to encourage people, because I've been there, done that. I've sat in that cesspool, and that's not fun. You just see people with, with very negative eyes. Paul didn't mask problems. He dealt with them. He addressed them. That's not what I mean. But Paul, in his letters, read them. Read Corinthians at the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 16, and he's just mentioning one brother, one sister after another. Romans 16, one brother, one sister after another. How much he loved them, what they did for him, how much he cared for them, how he looked at them. You're my beloved in the Lord. You're my fellow worker. You're my mother in the faith. Peter says it simply in 1 Peter 2, love the brotherhood. And that means you love the brotherhood with all the warts. Are you with me? Sometimes I've watched brethren my age grew up in the same environment. They get so mad at the church, so mad at the problems, so mad at all of that, that they took the baby and they threw it out with the bathwater and they completely walked away from God. And I don't, God doesn't want that for any of us. And I hope that that's not what you're going through right now. But understand, Paul faced more bad behavior than anybody. Paul was betrayed Paul was lied about. There are people who preached Jesus just so they could make it harder on Paul. Can you imagine how twisted that is? They got up and preached on Sundays so that Paul's life would be worse. But how did Paul say? He said, well, at least Christ has preached, and in this I will rejoice. Yes, this I will rejoice, Philippians 1. We have to change how we see those things. Yes, brethren misbehave. 
That's not a newsflash. That's going to lead us to our second point. Because as we learn about people, we learn about bad people, we learn about good people, what Timothy was told was this phrase. And I'm going to tell you, this is a, to me, a very important phrase. I know every phrase in the Bible is important, but this is a very important phrase. 2 Timothy chapter 4. As he's saying, I charge you, verse 1, in the presence of God, he's going to judge the living and the dead, preach the word, the, the time's coming, people will not endure sound teaching. This is how bad people are going to behave as they turn away from listening to the truth, wander off into the myths. Into myths. Notice verse 5. What are the first few words of verse 5 in your book? Anybody? As for you, but you. Okay, Timothy. Those people are going to misbehave, but what about you? Yes, those, t- those people are not going to listen to the truth, but as for you. Those people are going to lie, but as for you. Those people are going to wander off in all kinds of craziness, but you. I want to see several examples of that in the Scriptures. I want you to turn with me, and they're on your notes, but 1 Timothy chapter 4, one of the things he tells Paul in the first... Uh, He tells Timothy in the first letter, as in the context of talking about chapter 4, people are going to depart from the faith, verse 1. They're going to teach doctrines of demons. There's going to be all kinds of bad things going on. But notice he says, verse 12, let no one despise your youth, you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. I want to read that again. Young people, please listen to this. Christians will behave in an ungodly fashion at times. It will happen because we're human and we fall prey to the devil. But you, you set an example. You set an example for the believers in how you talk, how you behave, how you love, and in how pure you are. Yes, your friends may be going out and acting in a a completely ungodly fashion, but you set an example of purity. There are other people around you who are not showing an example of being loving. You set an example of being loving. There are other people around you who are going to be unkind. You set the example for being kind. I Sometimes I am humbled by the example of somebody who is younger and see the faith and the conviction and the hope that they have and the understanding that they have, and it helps me. And so that's what I'm encouraging those of you who are younger is that you see things that are around you that are going wrong, set an example. That's what you can do. You can't change the world, but you can set the example for the people around you. Okay? We'll keep going. Let's keep going in 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. In verse 10, he's talking about the love of money. In verse 10, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves through with many pangs or sorrows, depending on which version you're reading. There are people out there who are greedy, And there are Christians who are greedy, Paul says, and because they are greedy, they are going to wander away from the faith, and they're going to cause themselves a host of problems. What are the first few words of verse 11? But as for you. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Continue, 2 Timothy chapter 3. 
We come back to Paul's last letter, 2 Timothy chapter 3. If you read those first few verses, man, I'll tell you what, you talk about negativity. You talk about a lot of evil and wickedness going on. Paul says this is what's going to happen. People are really going to be bad. In verse 9, he says, But they will not get very far. Their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men, Janus and Jambres. But notice verse 10. You, however, have done what? You followed my teaching. You followed my conduct. You followed my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions. Timothy, they're going to behave this way. You don't have to do that. Sometimes kids have to turn away after seeing their parents behave in an ungodly fashion and say, but as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Sometimes it's in a marriage. My spouse is behaving this way. Well, they didn't, they didn't, you didn't take out the, the trash. So since you didn't take out the trash, I'm not going to cook you breakfast. Well, since you didn't cook out the, the, the breakfast for me, I'm not going to mow the grass. Well, since you didn't mow the grass, we're not getting any loving tonight. Well, if you're not getting any loving tonight, I'm not going to talk to you anymore. And you, you have a couple in therapy. You're talking, you're in counseling, we're sitting there studying, and it's like, oh, that person, that person, that person. No, what about you? What about you? I was sitting in a session one time with, with a couple, and, and it, was, it was four hours. It was a marathon. And, and, and the husband was going on and on and on about his wife. And she went out for a while to, to go do something, take care of the kids. And I said, okay, you've talked a lot about her. Are there any areas in your life where you need to work on, where you need to help, help yourself grow with Christ? And he went on for another 10, 15 minutes talking about his wife. I'm like, wait a minute. But as for you, your people at work are going to behave badly. That doesn't mean because your boss is a jerk, you get to be a jerk in return. That's remember we're Christians, amen? Are you with me? But as for you, you set an example, Timothy. And so as Paul's about to die, Paul says, yes, the world is getting really bad. And we understand that as we look at our own world, things are really bad. But what we need more than anything is for Christians to stand up and say, I'm going to set that example for other people around me. Not that I'm perfect, not that my nose is up in the air and I'm snooty and self-righteous and better than everybody, but I'm going to set an example for other people of how to respond, of how to love, of how to live, of how to talk, of how to, how to, how to interact with people in this life. And we're going to show also that when we're wrong, we're going to say, I was wrong I apologize. Would you forgive me? You know how many people in the world don't do that? You probably work with them. But the Christian is going to say, you know what? I made a mistake. Can you forgive me? What a great example. Okay, so what we learn from this, this section here is that Paul, Paul is telling Timothy, it doesn't matter how other people behave. This is how you behave. Third point. You've uh, probably heard this song, Live Like You Were Dying. There's various versions of that song in country and rock, and there's always some concept like that in the song. You know, the guy had a cancer diagnosis, and so I went high, skydiving, Rocky Mountain climbing, 2.7 seconds on a bull named Fool Me and Chew. You're probably thinking of the song I'm talking about. Live Like You Were Dying. 
And I like that concept, okay, because we are, going, we are going to die, and so we need to live. And I'm going to talk about that, because that's what Paul did. But just saying live like you're dying is not enough. And that's why I want to put up here, it's more than just live like you're dying. It's Paul lived for Jesus until he died. But Paul lived. Paul lived until he died. And he lived for Jesus until he died. And what we see in this chapter is, is so important. One of the things that I'm seeing again from our, our brother Matt Basford as he is writing these, these amazing articles and giving us perspective as he is looking death in the eye and as he is facing ALS and Lou Gehrig's disease as it, as it takes away his body to listen to his perspective. He didn't say, I'm going to check out now. I'm just going to go over here and stay to myself. No, he says, I've got a few moments to live. I'm going to do everything in my power to encourage other people, to teach them until I take my last breath. There is no such thing as retirement in the kingdom of heaven. There is no such thing as checking out in the kingdom of heaven. There is nothing like that. And I can imagine Paul wanting to do that, okay? I'm going to have my own few private moments. I'm going to die. I've been living my life for everybody else. You guys figure it out. I'm saying (laughs) bye-bye. He didn't do that. He didn't say, I'm checking out, guys. Forget it. I'll see you later. See you on the flip side. He didn't do that. He spent his last moments trying to encourage people. He spent his last moments trying to be around people. Paul kept living. Paul kept preaching. You know, when he made his first defense, you know what he does when he preaches. When he gives his defense, he's going to preach. When he's in prison in Rome, he's going to preach. And that's how some of the prison guard became believers in Jesus. When he's strapped to a wall or chained to a wall in Philippi, he's going to sing praises to God and preach the gospel. When he's giving a defense, he's going to talk about Jesus and the resurrection. One of our elders in, in uh, Beaumont, Wesley Pollard, is not a paid preacher. He, he worked at Bell Telephone. But he is the single most evangelistic person I have ever met in my entire life. When he, when he heard the gospel and became a Christian in the late 80s, 86, 87, somewhere around there, he had made a commitment, I'm going to talk to everybody that I can about Jesus Christ. And he has done that. And I think there's probably a third of the congregation is somehow directly or indirectly responsible for being Christians because of Wesley Pollard. But I tell you what, Wesley right now is facing some serious health issues. Serious health issues. And I remember one time being in the hospital with him, and as you know, he's dealing with his own heart issues and other leg issues, things that he's had to deal with. He had to have a part of his leg amputated. He's sitting there in the, in, the, in, the, in the bed, and here come two nurses. And you know the nurses have their rounds. They've got their rotations. They've got their things they've got to do. They couldn't leave because he's talking to them about Jesus. He's handing them cards uh, for, the, for the church building. He's like, here, here, I want you to talk about this. Here's a book. You know, Aaron, go get me a book. Or someone else, go get me a book. I want to hand this to them. Until he takes his last breath, he's going to live for Jesus. And just because he's hurting, he doesn't stop. Just because he's had bad times, he's not silent. Just because he's tired doesn't mean he checks out. And I know that's hard. I know it's so easy to say right now. But, but we have to understand as Paul 
Paul was tired at times. Yes, I'm sure. He was worn out. If there was anybody who was ready to take the last breath and go see Jesus, it was Paul. But Paul kept preaching. Paul kept reading. 2 Timothy chapter, and I think on the notes I have chapter 3. I apologize for that. But notice 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13. He says, When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, and also, what? The books, and above all, the parchments. Now I can see, I, I have to say, I can see Roger doing this. Bring me my books. Bring me my books. I mean, he's about to die. I'm like, is it really a time to read? Paul says, yes, I'm going to keep reading. I'm going to keep living. I'm not just going to go over here and lay in a corner and quit. We don't have time for that, brothers and sisters. We understand that. We don't have time for that. I'll tell you, this, this past year has really hit me in the mouth with our two good friends from Indiana, Brett and Wendy Kincaid, that died in a tornado up here uh, at Turkey Run. And it's just, it was just one, another one of those reminders that just smacks you in the mouth. It's just like, we don't have time. That's an illusion. Do you understand that? You don't have it. We have this moment. We have this moment. And we need to give our absolute best until we take our last breath. I'm preaching uh, with one of our shepherds, uh, Max Dawson, who I, I'm convinced that he's going to go 90 miles an hour preaching the gospel and being a shepherd until he hits the parking brake and drops right in the casket. That's the way Max Dawson is, man. He's going to live for Jesus until he dies. He is such a great example to me. And that's what I want to be for some, somebody else down the road. He kept, Paul kept writing and encouraging. Again, what we have here is his letter to Timothy. Timothy's uh, afraid. Timothy is rattled. And so what he does is he takes time to write and encourage. I am so thankful that Paul was in prison. And I know that may sound weird. I'm glad because we have Philippians. And we have Ephesians. We have Colossians. We have Philemon. We have 2 Timothy. Just think about it. Because of what happened caused the furtherance of the gospel, Paul kept writing. Paul kept up his concern for what happened after his, his death. We cannot live at the end of our nose. We cannot live at the end of our nose. We have to think, when I die, what legacy am I, I going to leave to my kids and my grandkids? When I die... Who, who's going to take over as a preacher, Bible class teacher? Who's going to take over as those elders and those deacons? Are we thinking about that? We should all be thinking about that. I know that that is promoted and preached here, and that's part of your DNA and culture, and I appreciate that. But I think we always need reminders of that. But Jesus was going to die. And so what does he do? He gathers his disciples together, like I said earlier, and he talks to them for hours about what's going to happen. David did that with Solomon, okay? And so, uh, anyways, um, Moses did that with Joshua. Moses did that with the nation of Israel. But also what we see is, that was five minutes, right? You mean ten minutes, right? I'm just kidding. I'm just joking. Second Timothy chapter 4, Paul kept seeking out relationships. I want to encourage you to do this if you're not. Please seek out relationships. Don't just come to the church building. Seek out relationships with people. Seek out relationships. Don't just come and say, hi, how are you doing? Oh, good, how are you doing? And then we go home. 
We've got to seek out relationships with each other because, because then we're able to become more comfortable with each other and we learn about each other's story and then we can talk to each other. And so then, then there's times when I'm hurting and you can help me. And when you're hurting, I can help you. And when you're rejoicing, I can come and rejoice with you. And Paul, as he's dying, he's seeking out relationships. Second uh, Timothy chapter, actually go to chapter 1. Um, Verse 4, he says, as he's talking to Timothy, as I remember your tears, Timothy's crying, I long to see you. Timothy, man, I want to see you so bad. You know, I'm going to tell you what it, what it was like to, to come to Roger and Debbie's house and they open that door and there's Roger and Debbie. I'm, those relationships mean something. And I encourage you to seek out relationships with other people. Go back to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 9. Verse 9, 2 Timothy 4, do your best to come to me soon. Timothy, get here. Get here. I need you. Verse 11, Luke alone is with me. Get Mark. I want Mark here. Verse 19, greet Prisca and, and Aquila in the household of Onesiphorus. I'm going to talk more about Onesiphorus tomorrow and how he encouraged Paul but he also valued the relationships of people like Priscilla and Aquila. And so I want to encourage you as we wrap this up. Yes, there are people who are broken. We're all broken. But we need to seek out those relationships because as we're seeking to keep the faith, you will not do this on your own. You cannot do this on your own. God did not create body parts. He created a body and I need other people. You need other people. And so Paul as he was dying, as he kept the faith, he still sought out relationships. And so I encourage you to do the same. Thank you so much for your attention. We'll wrap up here. And uh, God bless you. Looking forward to the rest of the week.